You know, when you do look around this world, I have to say one thing. I know one thing is that Jesus is coming back very soon. Amen. Amen. I mean, you just think of all the crazy stuff that's going on here in these last days. I mean, we're told in the Bible that there will be wars and rumors of wars, nations rising up against nations, earthquakes in different places, plagues, pestilences. I mean, the Bible could not make it any clearer. Man, we're talking about the days in which we're living in. Okay? Okay. Uh, I'm just going to read from Matthew uh, 24, uh, verse 3. He, Jesus, sat upon the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when these things shall be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. You shall not uh, see that you be not troubled. For these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms, and there shall be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in different places. But all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and to kill you. You shall be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many shall lose faith and shall betray one another. And they shall hate one another. And many false prophets, these are the false religious leaders of the world, shall arise and deceive many with their false doctrines. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But, be, but he that endures to the end shall be saved. And when I think of all these things that's been happening in the world, things have really been escalating, haven't they? I mean, I think from my younger years growing up as a teenager, man, things weren't like they are today. The earthquakes have been, have been increasing by an alarming rate. Uh, the fires, you just think about what happened just this year alone. Major fires in Canada, California, Hawaii. Fires so bad that the smoke traveled clear across Lake Erie and completely blocked out the skyline. I remember driving to work one morning, and I couldn't see the bridge going across Route 2 on my way to work. And I was just blown away thinking... That's a lot of smoke. That's a lot of smoke. And so much disaster. How much land was destroyed. And you think about the poor people in Hawaii that happened. You think about the wars that have happened with Russia and Ukraine, Israel, Hamas, China, possible with Taiwan and the United States. Pestilences like COVID, SARS, smallpox makes us wonder what's next. What's going to happen this fall? Don't you wonder? We wonder. The love of many have waxed colder and colder. Children trafficking for sex. It's just, uh, not just in isolated, it's, it's all over the world at an alarming rate. It's mo mothers having their kids snatched right out of their arms in broad daylight to use for vice. It seems like this world has become absolutely unhinged. But all these things, as we were told that these things that would happen here in the last thing, last days tell us one thing for sure Jesus is coming soon Amen. are you aware that uh, it is actually these increased disasters that will bring on a one world religion and also will bring on eventually the Sunday of the law so it's these disasters that will actually cause the world to merge into this already um we're fastly ra racing forward to a cashless society as we talked about in the past. 
already if you in a, if you have any bank you're already in the system by the way they just set that up i think it was in july or june that the system that they need to have in place for that cashless society already in the hospital i work university hospital they no longer take cash anymore or checks uh, they now will only take a credit card uh, a bank card of some sort they'll take your bank uh, debit card if you will but either way it's a bank card in cleveland alone uh, it was announced on the news earlier this year that all the parking meters in Cleveland are all going cashless, and now you'll have to pay by your phone, again, through a banking system. So the cashless system, which we know needs to be in place before Sunday law, is so fastly happening at an alarming rate. It's going to be one day you're just going to wake up, and that's it. The day is going to come in the very near future where cash will not be accepted anywhere. I'm sure you noticed that in many of the stores, there's usually very few lines that you can even use cash. Most of them are only taking credit cards or banking cards or some, or something. Um, but I don't tell you these things that scare you. I really don't. I'm telling you this thing to let you know that Jesus is coming soon, and we need to get ready because we were told that all these things were going to happen right before Jesus comes. And the question we need to ask ourselves individually, and believe me, everything that I say here, I'm speaking to myself, okay? The question is, are you ready? Are you getting ready? Things are happening at a very alarming rate. The probation that we are living in is the only time that's granted to each and every one of us to get ready. This is the only time we're ever going to get. We should fall asleep in the grave. Our time is over and the decision will be, be, uh, will be decided. The Bible is clear that your character must be found without spot or wrinkle. Or any such thing. We are told this in Ephesians 5 verses 26 and 27. And I'm sure I'm not, I don't have to tell you that, uh, you know, sin and God just don't go together. When God created this world, it was without sin. And in the new earth, it will be out without sin again, as it once was. God illustrates the importance of getting sin out of our lives. And he has taught this over and over again in the Bible. One of the things he taught us was in the Passover service. I won't go into the Bible teaching. I know many of you are already familiar with the Passover service. How God's people were to get the leaven out of their houses. And if they didn't get the leaven out of their houses, they were to kicked out of the city. Now we all know what leaven represents, right? Leaven represents what? Sin. What does the house represent? You. Yeah, your body temple. So we're to get sin out of us. And if we don't do it, unfortunately, we can't be a part of God's kingdom either. In 1 Corinthians, <coughs> excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Paul writes, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. Of course, we're to get sin out of our lives so that we can be sinless. That's what the teaching of the scriptures are. Wherever sin is, God is definitely a consuming fire. You're also aware that when the high priest went into the sanctuary, into the Holy of Holies, he went in with bells on the hem of his garment. And he also had a rope tied to his ankle. And as he was in the, before God, he had to be totally without sin. Because if he wasn't without sin, he would fall instantly dead to the ground. And so the people outside, they would listen for the bells as he moved around. And if the bell stopped, he knows he must have been found with sin. And then they would take the rope and pull his body out. But luckily, I've never read in scripture where that actually happened, that they had to pull somebody out. 
But that was the reason for the bells, and that was the reason for the rope. So one thing is clear, is that with God, sin is such a various, serious thing. Just think about it. When Satan, of course we know sin originated with Satan, and he sinned in a third of the angels, one third. Can you imagine how many angels there are? I mean, there must be millions upon billions of billions of angels. And yet one third of him joined his ranks and sinned with him. And we know what the fate of the angels, those fallen angels and Lucifer is, that one day they will all be destroyed. One thing is for sure, sin and uh, death go together. And if we are going to sin, then our fate is going to be like them. What makes us believe that if we think that we can continue to sin and be saved? There's no way. We have to get sin out of our life. Jesus is coming back really soon. The signs are all foretelling this. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, I'm going to read this. It says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them in chains of darkness to be reserved until the judgment, and spared not the old world, what's the world before the flood, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the city of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes and condemned them, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. So God is teaching us again and again the importance of getting sin out of our lives. Amen? Amen. And if God didn't spare them, he's not going to spare us either. That's how, think about it. I mean, sin is that Major. I mean, think about that. Only way that God could save us, that he had to give his only begotten son to die on a cross in order to save us. There was no other way. If there had been any other way, I'm certainly God would have done it, but there was no other way. That's how serious sin is in the Bible. The Bible also tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26 and 27, the Bible tells us if we sin willfully at that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking of the judgment and a fiery indignation, the same death that the angels and Satan will get, which shall devour the adversaries. If we continue to sin, brothers and sisters, we will be lost as well. God cannot excuse sin. He didn't excuse it in Lucifer. He didn't excuse it in the fallen angels. He didn't excuse it in the antediluvian world. He didn't excuse it in, in, uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's not going to excuse it in us. So we, we really need to take this subject of sin and salvation seriously. We've got to get sin out of our lives. We've got to become unleavened. We've got to get it out. We can't be part of God's city. And you think about it knowing this, and I know many of you know this, and we talk about this a lot in Brooklyn. I'm glad that we do because it's really a major, important decision that we really should be forefront of our mind. We can have all the different doctrines and all the teachings that we teach in this church, and, and yet you have not this one. It doesn't matter what you know. I don't care if you know which day the Sabbath is. I don't care if you know the mark of the beast is. I don't care if you know the papacy is the beast of Revelation 13. If you have sin still in your life, you're lost. Amen? Amen. So sin is very seriously, we got to get it out. And most of us will spend our lives in this world, and we don't spend much time even contemplating this subject. We, we're so integrated into this world that we 
seems like we're born, we got to get a job, we got to get houses, we got to have a family, we got to have kids, we got to have a dog, I got to have this new car, I got to have this new computer, I got to have this new thing and that new thing. But how many of us really spend time and how to get sin out of our life? Should be the most important thing. You know, truthfully, brothers, I know that you feel the same way. That I would rather be dirt poor, naked, living under a bridge, and own nothing to be eternally saved than to be eternally lost, wouldn't you? Jesus taught the same thing. Jesus said, what would it benefit? Would it be if you gained the whole world and lose your own soul? Mark 8, 36. Even Jesus trying to get this across to people that he met with. What benefit? You gained everything. You had everything. But in the end, you'll be as if you never were. For what benefit? See, Jesus tells us not to get so caught up in the world, but we should make salvation a priority. And I wonder how much, again, do we actually spend time thinking about how to have victory over sin. And if you are struggling in sin, I believe there are many people struggling in sin. I believe actually all of us have struggled with sin at one time or another. Probably most of us are still struggling with sin today. And when you go into a study and you try to understand why, what, how do we get sin out of our life? How do we become unleavened? You know, how do we get that out of our life so that we can be saved? You can be saved. The Spirit of Prophecy tells us this, and I'll give you the quote. It says, it is through the will that sin retains its hold upon us. That's Second Mind, Character, and Personality, page 693. It is through the will that sin, retain, that sin retains its hold upon us. Just think about that. If we're still sinning, it's because we're unwilling to let it go. Amen? It's not God's fault if we're still sinning. It's because we're not willing to let it go. It is through our sovereign will that it's the problem. And we have to understand that God will never force our will. He will never make you not sin. It's always your free choice whether you sin or not. It's our choice. That's what the will is. We're told in the spirit of prophecy 5T, 5.13, the will is the governing power in the nature of man, bringing all the other faculties under its way. How many? All. All. The will is not the taste or the inclination, but is the deciding power which works in the children of men unto obedience to God or to disobedience. So we can choose to be obedient. We can choose to be disobedient. Your will is your choice. And we must understand that. So we must understand that if we're still sinning, it's because we're not willing to let it go. The Spirit of Prophecy goes on to say that, do you desire to make your life such as will fit you for heaven at last? How many want that? I do. I definitely want that. Are you often discouraged at finding yourself weak in moral power, in slavery to doubt, and controlled by habits and customs of your old life of sin? You find your emotions, your emotional nature untrue to yourself? To your best resolutions and to your most solemn pledges, nothing seems real. Your promises are like ropes of sand. And she goes on to say, you will be in constant peril until you understand the true force of the will, your decision, your deciding power. You may believe and promise all things, 
But your promises or your faith are of no value until you put your will, your choice, on the side of faith and action. If you fight the fight of faith with all your willpower, you will conquer. Amen? The Apostle James tells us in James 2, verse 26, without faith works, which is actions, is dead being alone, meaning that you cannot have actions apart from faith. You know, our actions actually show us what our true will is. Amen? I know what your will is by what you do. And if you sin, guess what that tells me? You willfully want to sin, right? And if you choose not to sin, you can choose not to sin. There's more to it. We'll get into it. But it's your. But, but what you do, it shows us what your will is. And it also shows you whether or not you have faith or, or you don't have faith at all. What we need to understand again is that our actions are a reflection of our will, of our choices. And you are here today, you came to church today because you chose to, and if you didn't want to be here today, you chose not to be here today. So here is the key to victory over all sin. You must be willing to give up sin by your own choice. And you just demonstrate that decision by your actions. You have a met, you will have to make an effort while at some time placing your faith while at the same time placing your faith in God to give you the power over stopping sinning. So it's a combination of choosing, making that choice, making an effort. And when God sees that you make an effort and you put your faith in God, he will give you the power to obey. It's really that simple. It really is. But you might say to yourself, I am am, um, unwilling to give up the sin. Then the question I must ask, if you have a mindset where you're unwilling to give up the sin, I have to ask you a question. Are you willing to? To be made willing. And I hope your answer is yes. We are told in Acts of the Apostles. Page 42 and 43. If you are willing to be made willing. God will accomplish this for us. But he still won't force your choice. God can make you willing. To give up a sin. But it's still your decision. Just as much as you can choose not to sin. You can choose to go back and sin again. Our will is always free. We're told in TE 111, God cannot save man against his will. Man must work with his human power, aided by divine power of Christ, to resist, to conquer at any cost to himself. We got to get sin out of our lives at any, whatever it takes. We have to get it out. We're told in 5T 514, It will take at times every particle of your willpower which you possess to conquer sin. But it is God that is working in you to willing to do and that you come forth from the molding process a vessel unto honor. It will take at times, friends, every particle of your willpower not to sin. Clearly, you have to put forth effort. Even Paul said himself, he said that Paul said that he had to die daily. That's found in 1 Corinthians 15 and 31. Even to Paul, the Apostle Paul, a follower of Jesus Christ, wrote most of the books of the New Testament. 
Paul said he realized that he had to die daily. It will take sometimes, brothers and sisters, every part of our willpower to conquer sin. In Second Mind, Character and Personality, page 693, we're told the surrender of the will is represented as plucking out the eye and cutting off the hand. Often it seems to us to surrender the will to God is a consent to go through life maimed and crippled. But we need to do it. Just to tell us how hard giving up some sins can be in us to surrender the will of God. You see, we are choosing to do what God is telling us to do and deny what we want to do. This is what it means to surrender the will. So if you're wanting to continue to sin, you must surrender that to God. You must say, I'm going to choose to do what God says, regardless of how much I want to continue to sin. And when you do that, that is surrendering it to God. And sometimes it's not easy, because sometimes we don't want to give up sin. We want to continue to sin. But we can make a choice. It's our free will. We can choose to do good. We can choose to do bad. It's up to us. We are told that in Second Mind, Character, Personality, page 693 again, if you cling to self, refusing to yield your will to God, you are choosing death. It will require a sacrifice to give yourself to God. But it is a sacrifice of the lower for the higher, for the earthly for the spiritual, the perishable for the eternal. Amen? That's what we should be seeking for every day. We shouldn't get so distracted in life that we forget this. If there's sin in our life, sin equals death. We need to surrender our will. We're told that pure religion has to do with the will. That's 5T, uh, 5.13. So what is the issue? What must I do in order to get sin on my life? The Spirit of Posse tells us. In surrendering the will, the root of the matter is reached. That's a powerful statement right there. That's found in Mind, Character, and Personality, page 5, 151. In surrendering the will... The root of the matter is reached. So if you want to get sin out of your life, you got to surrender your will. And once you've done that, you've, you've solved the root of the matter. It's something that you have to do. Even if it means it feels like you're plucking out your eye, you're pulling your arm off, even if it takes every particle to do it, which way do you think you'll be happier? On a surrendered will or a will that's still... Surrender is not refuses to surrender and still sins. I believe that in surrendering our will to God will always be the happier way. Listen to what God is willing to do for us if we're willing to surrender our will to Him. And I quote Spirit of Prophecy It is for you to yield your will to the will of Jesus Christ. And as you do this, God will immediately take possession of your will. And work in you to will and do of his good pleasure. Your whole nature will then be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. And even your thoughts will be subject to him. You cannot control your impulses or your emotions as you may desire. But you can control your will because it's free. How? By yielding up your will, your choice to Christ, your life will be hid with God and allied to a power 
which is above all principalities and powers, you will have strength from God that will hold you fast to his strength and a new life, even the life of living faith, will be possible to you, but your will must cooperate with God's will. Will you not, without delay, place yourself in a right relationship with God? Will you not say, I will give him my will to Jesus, and I will do it now? And from this moment, be holy on the Lord's side? Disregard custom and the strong clamoring of appetite and passion? Give Satan no chance to say you are a wretched hypocrite. Close the door so Satan will not thus accuse you accuse and dishearten you. Say, I will believe, I believe that God is my helper, and you will find that you are triumphant in God. How? By steadfastly keeping your will on the Lord's side. Every emotion will be brought into the captivity of Jesus Christ. You will then find your feet on a solid rock. That's found in page 5T, 514. So is surrendering our will to God important in salvation? Immensely. Is getting sin out of our life important? Immensely. Things are happening in this world at such an alarming rate. It's, it's really, it's almost scary how fast things are speeding up. And yet we're told in the very last days, this is exactly how it would be. It'll happen very quickly, very fast. I don't know how much time we got left. I really don't. But one thing's for sure, when you look at all that's going on in the world, we don't have a lot of time left. And everything that's been happening is warning us. It's time to get ready. We are told that the inhabitants of heaven are perfect because the will of God is their joy and supreme delight. I'm reading this as a quote. I'm going to read this again. The inhabitants of heaven are perfect because the will of God is their joy and supreme delight. Shouldn't that be ours? Many here destroy their own comfort, injure their own health, and violate a good conscience because they will not cease to do wrong. The injection to mortify, which means to put away the deeds of the body with its lust, has no effect upon them. They profess Christ, but are not his followers and never can be until they cease their wrongdoing and work the works of righteousness. That's found in Appeal to Mothers, page 26. And just I have just read, in heaven everything is perfect. Your wills are in harmony with God. And it's their supreme joy to do God's will. I wish that God could say that about each and every one of us. It's recorded in a book that it's Ron's supreme joy to do God's will in everything. I pray God say that about all of us. And again, I preach this not just to you, I preach this to me. You know, God has to give me these thoughts before I can preach it to you. So God is actually really hammering me, okay, of what's going on. So I'm preaching to myself, but I know I'm not, the, I'm not alone. You know, when you, th- you ever heard of a, a, a concert and everybody's playing their music just perfectly? I mean, they're all professionals. Every note is perfect. And then one person... It's playing out of key or out of note. 
And it's just like, all you can hear is that disharmony note. And that would be heaven-like if God would allow just one sinner to be in heaven. The disharmony that would be in heaven. Can't be. God's heaven's got to be a place without sin. And God wants each and every one of us there so bad. He's given us time to get our act together and take heaven and spiritual things spiritual. Because that's exactly what we're supposed to be. I talked a little bit about this in Camp Mohave, and I won't go into great detail. But we are to be spiritual. And the world is carnal and fleshly. And we're told to put away the carnal, fleshy things of the world and to be spiritual. The Bible tells us that he is born of the flesh, is flesh, and he is born of the spirit, is spirit, meaning he is spiritual. Jesus tells us that we must be born again. Unless we are born again, we cannot see or meaning enter the kingdom of heaven. Only spiritual beings will be in heaven. Only those whose wills are completely surrendered to Jesus will be in heaven. When Jesus stands up, he that is holy, let him be holy still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. God's calling us to be holy. There will be no unholy people in heaven. In 1 John chapter 2, I read starting in verse 15, we are, we are told, Love not the world, neither the things that are, that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of this life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth, what? He that doeth the will of God, abideth forever. How important is it that we do God's will? We are told in the Pill to Mother verses, I mean, page 31. All are accountable for their actions while in this world upon probation. All have the power to control their actions, if they will. If they are weak in virtue and purity of thoughts and acts, they can obtain help from the friend of the helpless Jesus, uh, the friend of the helpless. Jesus is acquainted with all our weaknesses of the human nature, and if entreated, reached out in prayer, asked him, will give strength to overcome the most powerful temptations. All can obtain this strength if we seek for humility and just ask. Again, I'm reading from Appeal to Mothers, page 29. We are to perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord. Those who profess to be disciples of Christ should be elevated in all their thoughts and acts and should realize that they are fitting for mortality. And if saved, they must be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Their Christian character must be without spot or blemish, or they will be pronounced unfit to be taken to holy heaven, to dwell with the pure, sinless being in God's everlasting kingdom. It is true, as the Spirit of Prophecy has already told us, in surrendering the will the root of the matter is reached. In surrendering the will, the matter is reached. In surrendering, I'm sorry, let me just back that up here. I'm going to mess that up. So let me just say that again. 
In surrendering the will, the root of the matter is reached. I'm going to read on. When the will is surrendered, the streams that flow from the fountain will not be bitter, but will be pure as crystal. The flowers and fruit of a Christian life will bloom and ripen to perfection. Isn't that beautiful? That's found in Signs of Times, October 29th, 1894. And I repeat this for emphasis. If we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. But a, fearful, a certain fearful looking for a judgment and a fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. So we need to ask ourselves, are we in the flesh? Are you spiritual? Are we fleshly or are we still walking in the flesh? Are we still fleshly minded or are we spiritually minded? The Bible tells us in Romans 8.13 that if you live after the flesh, you shall die. Again, we're told in the spirit of prophecy and Christ's object lessons 331. Let no one say I cannot remedy my defects of character. If you come to this decision, you will certainly fail of attaining everlasting life. The impossibility lies in your own will. If you will not, then you cannot overcome. The real difficulty arises from a corruption of an unsanctified, unsanctified heart and an unwillingness to submit to the control of Jesus Christ. You see, in surrendering the will, the root of the matter really is reached. Remember the five foolish versions. Jesus is coming back soon. Five were wise and five were foolish. It's up to us in this time before Jesus comes back. We can be the foolish ones or we can be the wise ones. The wise ones got themselves ready when the Lord came back. And the foolish found themselves unready. When the fire alarms go off in a building, we all flee from the building knowing that a fire will devour us if we don't. Friends, the fire alarms in the world of all the things that's happening in this world are screaming. The Lord is coming back very soon. Things are going to wrap up. And this is a fact. Ready or not, willing or not, Jesus is coming back. The only question I have for you and for me is, are we ready? If you're not, you still have time to get ready. We learned today what we needed to do. And surrender our will to Jesus Christ at any cost. That's all we have to do. Just think what's going to be like being in heaven. <laughs> Everybody is holy. Everybody's perfect. It'll be, be a pleasure to be with any person, any being up there. You can just sit down and talk for hours and hours and hours. Nothing but love beaming from their face, a pure heart, no evil thoughts, no evil intents. Just imagine, the Bible says, eye is not her, ears has never heard, the things that God has prepared for those who love us. And yet God wants us there so bad that he died on the cross to give us a second chance, an opportunity during this time of probation. Let's not make this time of probation a time where we just treat, treat it like some cheap thing. It's very serious, friends. We can live eternally 
But Jesus Christ, instead of me standing here, you're going to go to church and Jesus is going to speak. Adam's going to speak. Paul's going to speak. You're going to hear them all. It's going to be awesome. The angels, Gabriel, speaking. We can be there. All we have to do is surrender our will to him, no matter what it costs. I don't care what it costs. Take my home, take my car, take it all. I don't care. I want to be there. And if you'll make an effort and you're surrendering your will to Jesus, Jesus will help you. It's not something that God asks you to do yourself. Your only choice is to make a choice. That is your will. Put forth effort. And when God sees that you put forth an effort, he knows you're serious. And when God sees that you're serious, he will empower you. You believe that? He absolutely will. He absolutely will empower you. But remember, at any time, even during that process, you can always choose to sin because God will never force it. So we got to keep it surrendered. Keep on the Lord's side of the line. I thank you so much.